Welcome to Celebration Church Online. We are so glad that you've joined us. We want you to share this broadcast with as many people as you can. We believe that it will bless and encourage us all in this season. So I've been doing a series on how should we then live? And uh, the last couple of weeks I've been talking about the abuse of grace. You know, I think that what we've seen in the body of Christ is that we have gone overboard on the grace message that, hey, you can live however you want to live. And uh, it either pans out that you uh, can do whatever you want to do, live however you want to, and God will wink at it and that sin doesn't count anymore. Or it flips the other way where we think that, hey, all God wants is for me to be the very best I can be. Well, if you could be the best you could be without Jesus, then you wouldn't need grace. God gives us the grace in Christ to become hidden in Him, all things in Him and through Him. And yes, God does have a purpose and a plan for your life, but it's important that you understand that God has uh, designed it in such a way that it works hand in hand with the gospel. So last week, we looked at the, uh, in in the book of Galatians, where uh, in the fifth chapter, the Apostle Paul was warning us that those who are in the habit of practicing sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. It is with that in mind that I want to look at the rest of the book of Galatians and how it debunks the myth of once saved, always saved, or eternal security. You see, after a dissertation on the sins of the flesh, the Apostle Paul goes on to describe the fruit of the person who is walking after the Spirit and what they have done to the works of the flesh. He says this in Galatians 5, verses 23 through 26. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. It's a powerful scripture. Romans 8, uh, we go back to Romans, and in Romans 8, verses 12 through 14, it says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if through the Spirit you mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led of the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. In fact, one version says it this way. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the mature sons of God. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 says, If you then being risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on the things of this earth, For you are dead, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake... The wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. The children of disobedience. You see, 
Crucifying the flesh is not optional. It is absolutely necessary for any Christian who hopes to enter the kingdom of God. We all called to, we're all called to cooperate uh, with the Holy Spirit. God wants us to work with him. He doesn't do everything for us, as many would like us, many people like us to believe that he's doing everything. It's all up to God. No, we have to exercise our faith and our obedience toward God if we're going to grow in our relationship with him. Let me, let me, let me remind you of the parable of the talent. I taught this a few weeks ago. Two out of the three servants entered the kingdom because they had been faithful. But that last servant, he became slothful, he became disobedient, and it caused him to be cast out into outer darkness at the judgment. All three were chosen vessels, and Jesus gave them freely what they needed to make it. But one of the three chose to disobey his Lord. Consequently, his disobedience cost him his salvation. You see, failing to crucify the passions and the lusts of the flesh will also cost us our eternal home in heaven. When we crucify the flesh, we must ask the question, how far do we go? Or, to put it another way, how much sin should we tolerate or allow in our lives? Two more adulterous affairs? One more abortion? Maybe just three more pornographic magazines? Now, I know that this may sound foolish, it may even sound simplistic, but unfortunately, that's how many Christians live. Paul told us how we should live. He told us how much sin we should allow in our lives as Christians. In Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 11, listen to what he says. He says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh the saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no whoremonger, or unclean person, or covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Reprove them. See, Paul tells the brothers and the sisters in the church at Ephesus not to let these sins be named amongst them even once. Does it sound like Paul is condoning habitual sin? Does it sound as if he believed that it was impossible for a Christian to live a holy life? Absolutely not. He told them plainly that no whoremonger, no unclean person, no covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. He didn't stutter when he said that. The word no means none, not any, zero, zilch. And then he adds an exhortation. 
He says, let no man deceive you with vain words. What this simply means is that we can be deceived about this. We can be deceived. This warning lets us know ahead of time that there will be certain men who will teach doctrines that will cause Christians to believe that they can go back to being whoremongers, fornicators, or idolaters, and still receive their inheritance in the kingdom of God. Any doctrine that causes you to feel eternally secure while you live in disobedience to God is a deception from the devil himself. There was a similar deception by the false prophets in Jeremiah's day. They prophesied peace, peace, when in reality there was not any peace. And there was no peace coming to any of the backsliders of Israel and Judah. You can look that up in Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. But at the same time, there was the prophet Ezekiel, and he was contemporary of Jeremiah. And he said in one of his rebukes to the false prophets and the false prophetesses of his day, we see in Ezekiel 13, verses 21 through 22, he said, Your kerchiefs also will tear and deliver my people out of your hand, and they shall be no more in your hand to be hunted, and you shall know that I am the Lord, because with lies you have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad, and you've strengthened the hands of the wicked that he should not return from his wicked ways by promising him life. Is that not what we do today sometimes in the church? It's like anybody who dies goes to heaven. Anybody is rest in peace. They're not resting in peace. We need to be careful, the words we say. We need to understand there is a fearful death that we need to look at. King Solomon put it this way. In Proverbs 24, verses 24 and 25, he said, He that saith unto the wicked, Thou art righteous, him shall the people curse, nations shall abhor him, but to them that rebuke him shall be delight. And a good blessing shall come upon them. This is why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, he says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap unto themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables. Man, that's strong stuff. Just like the children of Israel did not listen to their own prophets, Paul warned Timothy that the day was coming, and I believe it's here, that many in the church of Jesus Christ would not endure sound doctrine, doctrine that deals with sin, he said that they would heap to themselves teachers who would give them messages to suit their lukewarm lifestyles. Let me clarify what sound doctrine is. According to the Bible, 1 Timothy 1, verses 3 through 11, he says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Now, the end of the commandment is charity or love out of a pure heart. 
and of a good conscience, and of a faith that is unfeigned. From which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say, nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel, of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. Paul just says it right there. He says, wait a minute, the law. He says that the moral law is good and that it is not for a righteous man. But he goes on to say that the law is for the lawless and for the disobedient. Then he continues the passage with some very vivid descriptions of certain sinful lifestyles which he declares to be contrary to sound doctrine. Now, this clearly shows us that there were teachers at Ephesus in the church who were bringing forth doctrines that were easy on sin. So we see that sound doctrine deals with sin and sin's consequences, while false or unsound doctrine puts you at ease in Zion. Hey, just be the best you can be. Just God understands. See, therefore... Any person who tells you that you can continue with willful rebellion against God and still go to heaven, they're a liar and they're a false prophet. Let me, let me confront one more issue. You see, Jesus affirmed that he did not come to destroy the moral law of God, but rather to fulfill it. In Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20, he says, Think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men to do so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. You shall in no wise or in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. It is kind of hard to stumble over what Jesus says. It's kind of hard to stumble over what the Bible says. In a few verses later, in uh, verses 27 and 28, Jesus goes on and he says this. He says, You have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his own heart. Does that sound like Jesus is doing away with the moral law of God? No. I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. In actuality, he was letting us know that under grace, he would expect more of us. You may say, why would Jesus expect more of us under grace? Well, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. You see, under the law, you could not receive a new nature, nor could you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you to help you overcome the flesh, at least not in the same way we do it today. 
Also under the law, there was not the same amount of power over demonic activity, over the demonic realm, as we have in the new covenant. This is why Jesus had to come. This is why he had to die on the cross. He died and he rose again to destroy the power of sin, death, and the devil. So now, through the new birth, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, you and I, we can overcome the flesh, we can overcome the world, and we can overcome the devil. Revelation 12, verse 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their own lives unto the death. That's the power that works in us, the power of the resurrected Christ. Let me make something really crystal clear for you. I'm not saying that I believe certain Christians who are faithful enough will reach a place of absolute sinless perfection in this life. Rather, what I do believe is that the habitual, willful, premeditated sin isn't supposed to be the dominating factor in a Christian's life. Oh, I agree with what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. He said, no, not, not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ. Brethren, I count myself not to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. Wow. The prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's powerful. I think this is what God's looking for. He's looking for contrite people who are willing to say, I'm not perfect, but I'm going to put the sin of my life in the past and I'm going to pursue Jesus. I'm going to go after Jesus. You see, if this is a Christian's attitude, then they are headed in the right direction. But if a Christian is making excuses for sin in his or her life, especially theological excuses, then I think you're in serious trouble. Something that scares me more than just about anything in the Bible is the fact that Paul himself believed that he could become a castaway. The great apostle Paul is nervous. He's worried about being a castaway. Having preached to others, he says, am I going to be a castaway? I think to put this in perspective, we have to realize that even though Paul communicated to us that he was not perfect, he never implied that he did not have self-control to crucify the desires of the flesh. In fact, on the contrary, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, the Apostle Paul used the same metaphor that he did in Philippians 3.14, the metaphor of running a race. And he uses this to make a powerful statement about the danger he faced if he did not crucify his own flesh. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 through 27. Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain, that every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Whew. That word castaway in the Greek 
in, in verse 27 is a word, adokimos, A-D-O-K-I-M-O-S. And it means to be or to become unapproved, to be rejected, or by implication, worthless, literal or moral, to become reprobate. It's the same Greek word used in Romans chapter 1, verses 28, referring to homosexuals who were given over to a reprobate mind to do those things that they, were not, that they knew were not right because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. That word in Romans 1, and you can look it up in Romans 1, verses 18 through 32. Adikimus is also translated as the word reprobate in Titus 1, 16. It says they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient unto every good work reprobate. Whew. I looked up that uh, word in the Webster's Dictionary, and it defines the word reprobate as a state of being morally depraved. <laughs> That's pretty heavy. So Paul's wording in 1 Corinthians 9, 27 lets us know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he believed he could become morally depraved. He could become a rejected sinner if he did not keep his body under, controlling and bringing it into subjection. We've already observed the fact that the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 5, 19-21, and in Ephesians 5, 1-11, that morally depraved people do not go to heaven. See, when Paul said, I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection, what he's revealing is that he believed that he had some personal responsibility to crucify his flesh. Now, this is, op this is opposite to the belief of those who think that crucifying the flesh is just some ethereal simile that somehow mysteriously takes place in a believer, whether they turn from sin or not. Somehow, we don't make the connection that it's really death. It's really dying to our flesh. Jesus taught the truth of personal responsibility in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. He said this, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever will save his life shall lose it, but whoever shall lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? In this statement, Jesus was and is referring to our daily responsibility to take up our cross and to follow him. Jesus taught it before Paul did. He taught that we would be cast away if we did not crucify our flesh and follow him. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 31 through 34. Paul says, I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ. I die daily. After the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. What did it advantage me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But don't be deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and stop sinning. Sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. And I speak this to your shame. He's talking to the church. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's speaking to the church. This passage is the essence of revival. You see, genuine revival will always call the church to wake up, call the church to stop sinning, 
so that the lost can receive the knowledge of God. Hopefully we can now see why the doctrine that abuses the grace of God and gives false comfort to backslidden Christians is such an obstacle, great obstacle to true revival, both in the church and in our nation. We call ourselves Christians in this nation, 85%. But I've got to tell you something, there's as much sin in the church as there is in the nation. And many of those that call themselves Christians are leading the corruption. It's time for us to repent. Finally, let me, let, me, let me close with Galatians 2, verses 16 to 21. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other. So that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and the such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. See, Paul's telling us that Righteousness doesn't come through observing the rituals of the law. But by the faith of Jesus Christ. Paul reaffirms that this truth, the truth of justification by faith, it's not a license to sin. But then notice what he says. And this is the reoccurring theme throughout the whole teachings of Paul. He says, I am crucified with Christ. You see, justification is by faith. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, which reveals that justification is a process, it's not something that happens once. If we seek to be justified by, by Christ, we are, and, and we are found to be sinners, is this of God? No, no, no. Paul says, God forbid. Why? For if we build again the things that were destroyed, the sins, the habits, the strongholds, and the like, we make ourselves out to be transgressors, which is what we were before we came to Christ. Therefore, our justification in Christ can be altered by our choices. We can't keep sinning and then think that we're going to be made righteous. So here's the question. Are you crucified with Christ? Have you crucified the flesh in your life? Or have you become a transgressor? Paul knew that he, if he did not crucify his flesh, then he could become a castaway. How about you? Have you given into the temptation of the devil? Have you rushed recklessly into lust or given yourself over to a sin of the flesh? Pornography, fornication, adultery, greed, or idolatry? These are questions that must be asked and must be answered if you've fallen from grace and intimacy with the Lord. Then now's the time to repent. Now's the time to return. Now's the time to open your heart and say, oh God, forgive me. Now's the time for revival. And revival begins with you as the individual first. Then it begins in our families, in our marriages, in our homes. Crucify the flesh. Break that off of your life. And if you're struggling and say, I don't know how to do this. Well, you can never solve the problem at the same level it's created. You need something or someone to intervene. God himself will intervene. He says that the entrance of his word is revelation, it's light, it's life to you. 
I can tell you this. If you increase your word level, your strength will increase. If you increase your word level, the power of revelation itself will bring you to a place of faith to conquer these deeds. Secondly, prayer. Prayer is simply talking to God and listening to what he has to say. I always say this, that prayer is two-thirds listening. Sometimes we are so busy asking, so busy talking, that we never listen. God wants to speak to you. One word from heaven can turn an issue around in your life. And then third, we need the fellowship of the saints. We need each other. You need fellowship. You need to be in a cell group. Break off this fear. This fear of COVID. Oh my goodness. Do some research. Find out that, hey, some of this is to just keep you bound up in fear. Be smart. Be wise. But don't be fearful. Fear is worse than the disease. Let me tell you something. The cure that we've taken in our nation for this disease is worse than the disease. We are supposed to be social distancing, but we cram hundreds of people, 70 people in a Zupco bus, but we can't have 50 people in a church. Come on. There's something very wrong here. We'll put 500 people in a grocery store. We have the markets where people don't even mask themselves and all over the place. And we've only had less than 100 deaths. People are going to die, but they die of the flu. They die, they, and most of the people that are dying are dying of contra issues, things that they've had for years. I don't make light of this. I know that we've lost some loved ones, and we've even lost some healthy ones. But you cannot, and we cannot continue to live our lives bound up in this fear. Fear is killing us. It's time to go and be bold. The Bible says believers can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Believers, the Bible says that, 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 that if you're sick, call for the elders of the church. They'll anoint you with oil and you'll be healed. I, I, I believe in the Bible. I believe that God will help us through these things. I believe that we can recover from every sickness, every disease. Though a thousand fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, it shall not come nigh me. Though my enemy come at me one way, he'll flee before me seven. What do you believe? I choose to believe the Bible. I choose to believe the Word of God. For some of you that are really struggling and you just can't come to faith on your own, there's some numbers on the screen. Right now, you can pick up the phone and you can ask somebody to help you, to pray with you, to agree with you, to, to lead you, to guide you, to get you in touch with a pastor, to get you in touch with a counselor. You can get help for whatever thing you're facing, whatever sickness, disease, issue that you're facing. We're here to help each other. The Bible says we're to love one another. That's what we're about, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for these that are listening under the sound of my voice. My prayer is that you would cause great grace to come to them, the grace to overcome, the grace to defeat the enemy, the grace to overcome their flesh, the desires of the flesh, their perceived and real weaknesses. Father, we thank you that we have authority over the devil. We have authority over the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We have authority over the world, and we can live by faith. Strengthen us now, I pray. Strengthen me as a pastor. Give us the grace to do what you want us to do. Help us not to abuse your grace, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us online. We hope and trust that you've been blessed by this service. Stay connected with us through our social media platforms, Facebook and WhatsApp. As we go, stay safe, stay blessed, 
Stay connected.